1: Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson and to the recap of the UAE Tour Stage 5 from Fajaira Marine Club to Jebel Jais, the summit finish, 1489 meters in altitude. This stage was called the Impossible is Possible stage. I would caution any race organizers for using such language in the context of professional cycling racing, but nonetheless, we didn't really have any anything close to impossible performances today but before we get into that (laughs) i want to mention our show partner for the whole year lakol www.lecol.cc they produce performance cycling apparel i've been telling you for a couple of days now to go and check out their website their new high visibility reflective jacket maybe benji there's been demand benji for me and you to wear the high re, high vis reflective jackets in our recordings, I think that would just not work well with the green screen setup behind me. It would throw out our software. <laughs> that's maybe a good way of trialing the Le high vis reflective jacket. Maybe that's the performance component of it. If two uh, at home podcasters can can wear them successfully, but they work very well out on the road. They've got the data to prove that. So go and check them out at the link below. Onto stage 5 Bendy, as I mentioned, Jabal Jay's climb. Pretty simple stage, 169 kilometers long, flat, flat with two intermediate sprints before the climb. The climb is then 215 k's at 5.5%. Very consistent gradient highway climb. Big ring climb draft bit really important. Yates 40 seconds behind Pagatra on GC made her a minute back. Always a tough task. How did today shape up?
0: Okay, so. We thought that it would go similar to Jabel Hafid in the sense that the break would not be super large, that the stage would not really go to the breakaway because, well, usually we have a very controllable race if you have a flat terrain before the final climb, and then the final climb is just one climb. So in this situation, we were expecting that, but it turned a tiny bit differently than we usually expect to because we had a bit of a large group. At first, Matthias Frank decided to attack for Ajaxer, Citroën, then we saw that Nizzolo was trying to join, which was a bit surprising, but I thought perhaps for the intermediate sprint points, he would try and gain some or something. And eventually a larger group formed Nizzolo fell back to the peloton, not on the ground, but as in he dropped back to the peloton. Pretty important focus on the details there. And eventually the first intermediate sprint was won by Frank, and Decker sprinted to second place there. And eventually that larger breakaway was going towards that second intermediate, on which, well, it was literally just before the final climb, and we saw the only person that would care for the prize money of all these intermediate sprints in that breakaway, most likely, being Thomas again to go for it once again. Like he's the rider that wants to go for every single intermediate sprint, every climb, every jersey that he can achieve because he wants to add that to his collection of what he has achieved in cycling. So uh, that's pretty uh, pretty cool to be honest. But all in all. I think we all kind of knew that the breakaway wasn't looking too bright when they hit the bottom of the climb at a solid two minute and a half, three minutes. And in the peloton, the pace wasn't that high. We saw that Ineos all day was trying to keep the gap relatively close to try and win the stage with Yates, I would expect, or set something up with Adam Yates. That was what we were expecting because Adam Yates needs to attack. But the thing is, the breakaway eventually started speeding up again, the moment they started hitting the climb, because they've got the likes of Alex Zauset, who at the start was setting up a nice space but obviously wasn't going to be the the all-deciding factor, because Goldstein, his teammate, Israeli champion, can actually climb, Zauset a bit less, quite a bit less actually, and um, well, Thomas De was also the better climber of Lotus Soudalep there. We had Kolyoni, who held on for quite a while, but had to drop back at a certain point, and we also saw Lutsenko in that breakaway. So those were the three strongest riders, Goldstein, Gent, and Lutsenko. Those were the riders that were fighting for whatever was possible in that breakaway as the peloton was coming closer under the uh, god of Ineos. The last thing we saw from that breakaway was the fact that Lutsenko actually dropped the other two and was hitting pretty highly. And for a rider that we were saying a few days ago that we, we weren't seeing anything from this season compared to the other seasons where his initial start of the season is always great. Today was a good ride from him and I'd say props to him and I hope that it's a bit of a reflection of the future of this year for him because, well, he's a nice rider to uh, to uh, to follow and I think he's definitely a rider that can win stage and ground tours. He's done it before so we can definitely do it again. But all in all, let's go to the peloton, Ineos pacing, Sosa being the first rider at the front, or like one of the riders at the front for Ineos there. But uh, it didn't go as planned, I think, right?
1: Well, yeah, they reversed the order today of Sosa and Rivera. Martinez was still going to be last man for Adam Yates. Adam Yates wasn't actually in the Ineos train. He was parked up on Tade Pagacar's wheel. And you could just tell the pace was not very fast from Ineos Almost the entirety of the climb. The starters, the group was massive for a lot of the climb. Um, secondly, as I mentioned, the draft benefited on a climb such as this where there's an easy stage beforehand. No climbs to soften people up. Apparently there's a, a light headwind according, or a headwind according to Tati Pogacar in the interviews afterwards. Um, and it's on a big highway. Big ring climb. They go going 27, 30 k's an hour. Um, and Sosa was no good. Once again, he pulled, like, he, he, his pull was not supposed to be for two minutes or 90 seconds, uh, and it was yeah. about that, and he got spat once again. It's just, maybe it's a heat thing, Benji, I don't know, because Provence was freezing, right, and Lushenko was supposed to be a favourite for that Shelly Renard stage, did well there last year and was terrible. We thought, oh, he's off form because he had COVID, And then Sosa wins that stage in a blistering pace. Come to UAE, reverse the temperatures. (laughs) But still, Lushenko got lost like 10 minutes on Jabal Hafeet. And I thought, oh, his form's not good. And it's just classical Alexei Lushenko. Maybe maybe he got dropped on Hafeet, wasn't having a good day, and thought, well, better to lose 10 minutes than two minutes, because then I can go in the breakaway on Javel and he, he rode really really strong today Lutchenko it reminded me a lot Benji of Montagual stage five yes. of the Tour de France last year in your soft pacing pretend pace for uh Bernal and the question I want to ask you Benji is okay so was the plan to actually drive a hard pace and shred the group and set up Yates and the fact that Sosa couldn't pull and Rivera had to do a double pull at lower watts meant that couldn't happen? Or was the plan to ride defensively to maintain Yates second on GC, or to keep the group together and deliver Yates for a stage win with Martinez pulling in the last 1,500 metres like Coos would do for Roglic? Because, or yeah, because last year when they rode a soft pace that was to protect Bernal, who wasn't having a good day, what what was the plan for Ineos today? Because I'm, I'm feeling it seemed pretty purposeless to me. I couldn't gather what their plan was.
0: Yeah, I think that throughout the stage it was clear that we're, they were trying to keep the breakaway at a certain margin. They weren't trying to catch them immediately once they hit the climb, but they were trying to lower the gap to that breakaway by quite a bit. I don't think they expected to have the breakaway last as long as it did. Spoilers, it got caught. But um, the thing about it is. I don't necessarily think that they were thinking to try and launch an attack by Yates. I don't think this climb really allowed that to happen. We spoke about it multiple times. This is not the climb where you can attack with 7k to go and go alone. That is not how it's going to work on Jebeliais, and we saw that today. I think that Sosa dropping back early, like, genuinely, every morning at Ineos, I bet Detroit dies in. Whatever it lands on is the form that Sosa has that day. It's so inconsistent, it's crazy. But in this situation, Sosa did not really do that much. And it wasn't even at a high pace at that point. Martinez being the last man, Rivera holding on for a very long time. But obviously, Rivera's not the best climber in that squad and does will not influence, for example, a Formula. I don't think Rivera's going to make Formolo suffer. Stuff like that. And when Martinez hit the front, the tempo went up, people started dropping... But the thing about it is, you can' oh, well, but it wasn't Martinez
1: hitting the front, Rivera,
0: that's what I don't get.
1: Benji. They weren't mm-hmm. catching Luchenko if they were just leaving, Martinez was staying there second wheel, and they just left Rivera there indefinitely. It seemed, and the gap to Luchenko, who was going quite well was at a minute it had stayed it went from a minute twenty. Down to about a minute. And but then it just stayed there because Rivera was tired. Zweihoff for yeah. Bora hansgrohe was third wheel. And I was thinking, damn, if, if Bora want this stage win for Buchmann or Zweihoff, I mean I don't think any of us are faking. They better try something soon. And then with five Ks to go, or four and a half, Zweihoff attacked. The mountain bike rider Bora just signed. Martinez then close to him. Why do you think Martinez close to Zweihoff? Does it was Martinez going for stage win? Was he trying to keep it together for Yates stage win? Because, again, even that is a little bit confusing to me.
0: I think it was it was trying to be the second thing. And we noticed that when that attack by Bora started happening, that Martinez went to him. But the thing is, I think it was still Bjerg for UAE. I'm not sure it was. Was it Poulanger already? I don't think so. I'm actually not very sure. But they weren't catching Martinez directly. They were like, sure, if Martinez wants to go, then he can go. Because Martinez obviously not a danger for Bogachar. UAE rider was suffering a tiny bit, so he was potentially trying to catch on, but it wasn't desperate to try and catch Martinez because, well, if Martinez decides to ride faster and nobody else is going to take the wheel of Martinez there, then then why should UAE do it? So interesting strategy there as well. I don't think that UAE should react to someone as a domestique for Ineos who closes down a gap to that Bora rider per se, and I think they did that perfectly. And it all kind of fell apart for any the moment that happened, because like you mentioned, Martinez was not taking full control of the front of that group. And we saw other attacks happening suddenly. And it was an attack that I was very, very, very happy about. Vincenzo (laughs) on the left side of the road, a monstrous attack, fast, everybody, the shark bit and... uh, it was a pretty good bite for a bit. I was kind of surprised it held that long, yeah. but it was also because <laughs> nobody reacted. Like, it was good not timing. Not, not a single soul. Yeah, perfect timing. Not a single yeah. soul reacted until like a good two minutes further where van Hooker decided to launch a bit of an attack to that and then everybody started attacking left and yeah. right. I think we saw a Jumbo Rider attack because as well through the middle and then he saw it wasn't going to work. Everybody reacted to that. Yates was trying to follow the wheel. I think Yates made a bit of a mistake the moment that... I don't know who attacked, but there was an attack at a certain point where Yates was drinking from his bottle, and
1: yeah, at yeah, that yeah. Point, Almeida. Had Almeida. React.
0: Yeah, the Almeida attack, and Yates was drinking, and was like, oh, yeah. "Oh, oh, oh!" Throws the bottle and had to like hurry to get back on the wheel of the jumbo riders behind Bogatov. Yeah, he got on coups, which yeah. is not the perfect place to be, but yeah, Almeida <laughs> attacked, and you can tell the story further. To be honest.
1: Well, yeah, so the, the shenanigans from 4.5 when Zykoff attacked to 3Ks after maybe Nibali got caught, that put about 30 seconds into the gap. And so now we're at 3Ks left, 30 seconds, 27 seconds to Lutsenko, who was you know battling a 21.5K climb on his own all day. And a lot of fresh climbers behind him. They've been sitting in a big draft, not doing massive watts, I don't think, or, I mean, big watts, but not. Uh, not as hard as her feet, does for sure. And so Almeida then went past the Nibli Van Hooker group and there was a moto shot from the side So quickly, it looked like they were doing, it looked like one of them were junior gear restricted. Almeida made a massive attack from 2, at 2.8 Ks, marked by Pogacar, because he had to, and then obviously Pogacar had to be marked by Yates, and then everyone followed, and a lot of riders were still fresh. Then I think that brought us to Almeida setting pace again. No one really helping him. Agita trying to bridge across to those guys. Then Aguita trying to follow an attack from maybe an Ashtore Citroën rider, but not, that's not really going anywhere. And then I think 1,800 meters. No, maybe less than that to go, Benji. Um, Yates yeah, never attacked, did he? I'm trying to think. Yates yeah, never attacked in the No, the two? No. No. Then it was two Lotto. No, not Lotto. Um, and two Yumbo Visma riders, Benji's got me confused, <laughs> attacking on either side of the road. And because it's a yes. highway, <laughs> it's a highway, it's like 25 meters from each other laterally. And then they looked and I, like, oh no. And it was Jonas Vingegaard. he attacked on the left hand side of the road as he's looking at it. And Lushenko's slowing down badly at this point, he's really suffering. Uh, it said 11 seconds on the graphics, but it Visually, you can see it was about five seconds. And Vingegaard, he closed the gap to Lutschenko, pretty much ignored Luchenko Benji. He like just went past him, didn't yeah. attack him as he went past, just started pacing for him. Because uh, he, he knew he can't play cat and mouse with a five-second lead on... Um, Pogacar, Yates, Egita Ige- Egita was the one that was really trying to close them down, and Almeida, Almeida attacked again, trying to get across to those guys, uh, to Vingegaard, sorry, Almeida was pulling, he had Pogacar, Yates, Iguita, uh, Walt Poles and co on his wheel, sorry, Walt Poles had also tried to bridge across earlier, but then had to drop back, and then Vingegaard, the camera unfortunately, we've got 500 metres to go, he's with Lushenko, Lushenko's gone onto his wheel, the cameras then stayed, the fixed camera, on the down the road as they've passed. And we don't know what's happening. Eventually, they cut back to them at 225 metres or so. And Vingegaard has just attacked Lushenko, who cannot respond at all. And uh, takes the big W, able to post up with plenty of time. Uh, his second pro win, he won a stage in Tour de Pologne in 2019. Uh, yes. I believe that. I think that was, what sort of parkour? That was not a mountaintop finish, but no. there was, was a very, very hilly stage. Yeah, and Sivikov, you know, I Siv- think. Sivikov, Hindley, Higita fourth that day as well. So rounding up for second was Tare Pogacha. <laughs> he won the bunch sprint ahead of Yates <laughs> and Igita. Igita fourth today, Almeida fifth, Nick Schultz sixth. Lovely result for him. Ku seventh, Poles eighth, Parman's ninth, Bouchard tenth. Um, but yeah, do you think who missed out today, Benji, who, who really will be going to the team bus today thinking, wow, that was a stage I really should have won. And if I just had an extra teammate or a bit of help or attacked at this time, I could have been winning today.
0: Hmm. It's, uh, it's kind of difficult to say because I think that everybody in that second group kind of missed out because at a certain point in the last two kilometers, they just pretty much stopped pacing for a bit until Almeida was the guy that was like, come on, dudes, and started sprinting behind who was ever in front. And yeah, it's not going to work like that. And if they don't finish on three seconds, then they're missing out. The thing is, how much are they missing out? Who's missing out? I think Higita spent his energy a bit too much before the final section, but he can't really do much else because he doesn't have the support in that area to uh, do something. Nils Paulus was there, but Nils- Nelson Paulus, Neil Paulus, that's a new name. But uh, yes, Nelson Bowles was there, up. yeah. <laughs> okay, not a good <laughs> joke. <laughs> um, the thing is, uh, like, he's gonna try and protect his uh, his position in GC. He's not gonna fully offer himself up for Higita, and that shows today because Higita missed one teammate to try and bring down the gap towards Vingegaard again in the end. And otherwise, I think that Higita might have been in ahead of Pogachar and Yates yeah, because Higita was the second person to react just after Almeida it, and Yates and Pogachar just free in the wheel and waited until Higita was basically done with his early sprint. And yeah, basically Higita had to do an Ackerman today. That's kind of what I'm trying to yeah. say, but uh, at the end of the stage. And I think that that's what makes this not pay off. But I want to use my uh, editorial power um, to link <laughs> us back to the uh, preview podcast we had of the UAE Tour, where uh, I think one of us mentioned that Vingegaard could be uh, someone to kind of see happening on this stage. <laughs> I thought you we were going to say something like Vingegaard because...
1: Yeah, no, no, Vingegaard, perfect. seriously. Yeah, yeah, Vingegaard's quality too, but maybe not this good if Pogacar and Co are there, but... Yep, that's Benji using his editorial power <laughs> through me. I'm having to download that and put that in. But yeah, Benji called it. He said, if you didn't hear, he said he wrote down Vingegaard for this stage um and I didn't think it was a crazy pick at all and I've got to say he's not like a random rider you honest no. like he if you watch the Vuelta last year he came 14th on Angleroo and he was maybe just he was at least the second strongest domestique cl- in the mountains for Roglic in the Vuelta last year very very strong very consistent at the Vuelta he's now got two world tour level stage wins and a, Uh, if you can't pick him out with a k to look at his face on the live feed then you've got some work to do he looks like macaulay culkin if he pursued a path of athletic prowess instead of uh some other lifestyle choices so (laughs) it's pretty easy rider to pick out and he looks nothing like chris harper who you know has got a bit of a hunchback and a bit of five o'clock shadow so yeah shame that they didn't call out Vingegaard properly on the English broadcast, but um, the Danish broadcast was certainly G'd up, I'm told, um, by the Danish fans of the podcast. And, yeah, what do you think about Vingegaard for the uh, for Jumbo Visma? I think he should go to the Tour, Benji. I think he earned, he's earned that through his welter performance last year.
0: I think one of the races that I like to see him do is uh, Tireno. And the annoying part is that Wout van Aert is leader there, so it's difficult to send Vingegaard to that race. Not well, anymore, but, apparently. Uh, no, not anymore.
1: Well, his trainer said he's he's overweight, so he's not really. It's not realistic to go for GC at Tenero, but maybe he's talking nonsense.
0: Yeah, but talking about like this whole situation, you've got plenty of riders that bring up the issue of, uh, all the the stuff about weight and so forth, and then it feels like a bit stupid from a trainer to pull it out in public in the fucking newspaper like what
1: <laughs> yeah I find
0: that so stupid
1: <laughs> and that's just not us picking a couple of writers messaged me and said if my trainer said that i'll be throwing i would be throwing hands with them um so yeah i thought that was super weird especially in light of the duma news not two weeks before that that they're giving article you know quotes yeah. in the press like that very very strange uh but i think, I think you guys should go to the tour um, and certainly one-week race to a Swiss Benji, maybe. Uh, see how he goes there. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's a really, really solid rider. He's only, I think, 24 years old. I think Taddy Pogacar in the quotes you read about today's stage, just rounding off today's stage, I think, yeah, are made the big losers. I think if they'd have someone like Koos or to set pace for them, I think they'd certainly be probably much closer to the stage win. Pogacar... If He said he didn't care about the stage win, (laughs) so I was wrong in yesterday's pod uh, when I was like, it's all about Pikachu. but he said in the quotes afterwards, just protecting GC today, didn't care about stage win, he still beat Yates and (laughs) Higuita in the the kick to the line, so I think if it had come down to a kick, he might have won as well, Um, just crazy all-around rider. In terms of GC, no changes at all really, except for Caruso moving up to seventh. <laughs> Damiano, he loves it. <laughs> um, but GC is pretty much wrapped up, unless there's some yep. crosswind madness in the next few stages. Next next stage, sort of prefacing that is from uh, Dubai to Palm Jumeirah, 165 k's, two intermediate sprints. It's on the cycle track, I think Al Quadra cycle track. A lot of this, a fair bit of this stage. And um, it's going to be another sprint. And I think, yeah, Bennett, Ewan as well, mm-hmm. favourites again. And uh, Ackerman, he's got, a, he's got a launch with less than 200 metres to go. And maybe he could win as well. Um, he's definitely got the power. But Benji, I want to ask you a question. A, going back to our comments in the preview of the UAE Tour, about the climbs being the wrong way around, do you actually think it would have made a difference to the race if this climb had been first and her feet second because I gotta say if Luchenko nearly won and it was probably one of those most boring climbs I'd ever watched raced up until the last three or four kilometers when Bora got sick of it, do you think it would have, there would have been more action if it had been first or it would have been the same and everyone would have waited for her feet
0: but it's not necessarily the action that's the issue for me it's the it's a problem that we now had a UAE tour where we knew basically at the end of the flat stage already that the GC was decided. And otherwise that would have been after stage five, which is a difference. The same like having a Tour de France where you choose to have the last week all flat stages and then uh, you decide to make the most deciding stuff in the first week Then you know the last week who won the fucking tour. So yeah, that's, that's my problem with it. Uh, I find that the issue at hand that It reduces the intensity of the GC towards the end of the uh, of the race, and perhaps it also kind of changed how the race was ridden. I don't think it would have perhaps made Jebel Hafit more interesting. Mm. I think it might have had UAE ride a bit less defensively on Jebel Yais, though, if it was the other way around.
1: I think if it's the other way around, I think Pagacha uh, maybe a little bit more aggressive and that yeah. would have caused a little bit more carnage uh, with using micro and co. But I think the real problem was, and this is not the fault of the UAE tour organisers, they can't control this, the real problem was Sosa and the Ineos train. Ineos to do damage today, I mean, A, it was a headwind, that's out of everyone's control and that's going to nullify setting you know, setting really hard pace and putting people in difficulty because drafts are more important. But Ineos would have needed dennis port martinez on form like they would have needed all the big guns um because this is not actually a climb for so set of set pace dennis is the perfect rider as we saw on stelvio for a stage or a climb like this to really shred it for a, like and you need it's not about doing a hard 90 second pull either you, you need riders because it's a 45 minute climb to do like 10 12 minutes super hard um, and especially with the headwind, they got to be doing such big watts to actually put other riders into difficulty. And the group was, the group was very, very big until attacks came. Um, but still, but, um, heartbreak for Alexei Lutsenko. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Benji. Sorry.
0: No heartbreak for Lutsenko. But the thing that I take away from the stage in total is the most important thing of the stage is that we now know that Vincenzo Nibali is going to win a stage in the Giro. It just has to. Like, did you no, see won't. that attack? Come on. No, it won't. <laughs> also Joe descent stage. I feel it.
1: <laughs> his timing, his racecraft and timing, that'll never leave him. His timing is impeccable. Yep. Um and you know he got that gap and it was perfect and he got such a good gap because everyone was looking at each other, it was just great timing. But yeah, the Watts I mean the Watts were yep. never usually there in a preseason race. So I think it's actually good to see him attacking uh regardless. My last question for you, Benji, is why isn't there a night race around Dubai a night criterium? Instead of the, a 200k flat stage, why not a 65k night criterium around Dubai? I think that would look sick.
0: I think it would look sick, but I, uh, I know that if I was riding in the dark, it'd be less safe. And I think that's one of the Mate, reasons they, why they, they don't They drive
1: do. Formula One
0: cars in the dark, don't they? Yes, but... Yeah, With lights, obviously, true, not but... like proper dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you're right. And they also did that Velta stage uh, a few years ago where they started in the evening and it also was really? pretty dark in that uh, either a sprint stage or a team time trial. One of the two where they launched when it was getting dark and you saw the lights everywhere. Yeah. So some kind of Velta stage. Don't know which one. But uh, you're right. It exists.
1: Yeah. I think that's that's a. Pretty interesting thing. I'd like to see that. I'd watch that. And I think if the stage was 65 instead of 200 in a pancake flat sprint preseason race, I don't think it would change the result. I know why. Too much.
0: Why? I think if it's too dark, you can't see if someone's super ducking in the race, and that's why the UCI doesn't want to do it.
1: Yeah, I guess people will complain about safety, but I think it'd be really interesting, and also it'd be good for selling the rights because it'll be a little bit later in the day. And you'd be no. in the Europe, you'd be European late afternoon, and America might have time to wake up as well. So that's an option for next year. UA Tour, if you want any, you want any uh, consulting work or help from uh, me and Benji, we're pretty available. We've got nothing else to do except talk nonsense on the podcast. But that's all from us today. Great win from Jonas uh Heartbreak for Lushenko and no change on GC. We'll see what happens in the sprint. I think it's a sprint tomorrow. Ciao.